We are in Mark chapter 15, and uh, last week we were talking about uh, Jesus going through the religious trials, and they were mocking him for being uh, the Messiah. Uh, so you've got the religious leaders are going to be mocking Jesus for uh, claiming to be God or being the Messiah. They bring Jesus then, and the word is hand him over. They're going to hand him over to Pilate. We'll just say the Romans. Uh, Pilate and then his praetorian guard that's, that's with him there. And they're going to start to mock him. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is that situation with the Romans. But they're mocking him, and this is important, not to, because uh, he's claiming to be God or Messiah, or that's what they're accusing him of, but for being the king. And this is where it's going to be, uh, they're going to mock him as being king of the Jews. And he's going to end up, that's what's going to end up on the cross, is the sign that he's being crucified for being, uh, or claiming to be the king of the Jews. And so the, tonight, basically, the Romans are going to be fulfilling prophecy, uh, from the Old Testament, from Psalm 22 and other places, but also from Jesus throughout the book of Mark has been saying, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. And then he goes through that gives you, they're going to mock me, spit on me. They're going to insult me. And then I'll be killed. And after three days, I'll rise again. And Mark's been saying that's been coming. But again, this is where they're going. It's interesting because they're mocking him for being claiming to be god or being messiah but he actually is and then they're going to mock him for thinking he's a king but he is uh and he's really tried to avoid this whole concept he, he's not going to be executed as a criminal because if you come into rome or just you know it's an imposter even in our our country you you know start you know, imitating or as an imposter, you're some kind of a government official, uh, you could get yourself in trouble. And depending on how serious you are, you could end up in an insane asylum or something, or maybe in the government, who knows. But uh, this right here, th he is, he's not claiming these things as, as this time right now. He's, he's both going to say, yes, it, you, you have said so. And even the pilot, You've said so. Is that what you're saying? You're saying I'm the king? Now, Jesus is going to come this first time to be the Messiah in the sense of the suffering servant. Not the military Messiah that's going to set up a kingdom, but the Messiah that's going to pay for his subjects' sin or his, 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 uh, his people, his chosen ones, if you would. He's going to pay for their sins, and then he's going to come back and rule and reign. So the, like we said before, the very fact that he's going to go to the cross, and then he's going to be mocked and said, you know, come down off the cross. If he does come off the cross and prove that he's the king or prove that he's God, he's failed because the Messiah has to suffer on the cross first. So by staying on the cross, he's proving the very fact of what they're mocking him. You're mocking him for being the Messiah, so I'm going to stay on the cross because I am the Messiah. You're mocking him because he's the king. I'm going to stay on the cross because I am the king. And that's how the book of Mark ends. This chapter 15 ends with the, and we won't get there tonight, but the centurion who's standing there at the foot of the cross when he sees Jesus die, he says, Surely this is the Son of God. The book of Mark begins by saying this is the gospel of the Son of God and this, the proof, and then it's going to end at that section with the Gentile recognizing this is him. And both of those are statements that this is the Son of God. But Jesus proved he was the Son of God by staying on the cross. Well, I'm going to go first here and uh, read Romans, Romans, Mark, talking about the Romans, uh, Mark 15, I've got a bunch of verses I wanted to get through here, um, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, we're going to have to spend this again next week. We need to talk about next week also after class. I'm planning on having class, obviously, because it's Monday night, we have Bible study on Monday night, but it is also trick-or-treat night in West Des Moines from 6 until 8, so I'll be handing out my, I do not celebrate Halloween, but I certainly want to make a good representation of myself since we 
interrupt the neighborhood every Sunday and Monday with cars and people coming into our houses. Yeah, yeah. So don't be driving like a bunch of crazy people coming in and trying to rush and get your favorite seat at Bible study. Uh, but uh, I, I will, I always try, the last few years I've always handed out the big Hershey's candy bars. Not the little, little bite size, not little cheapo ones, but I go with the uh, full size. And the kids say, wow, a full size candy bar. That's right. It's where we have Bible study. It's like I'm trying to kind of throw a little positive spin. Some people give kid, people donuts and coffee. I give kids big chocolate candy bars on Halloween. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I'm planning on having Bible study, but if you feel, you know, I'm not sure, we're live broadcasting, sorry, we're having a business meeting. Uh, if you want to, I'm not sure if you're trick-or-treating in your neighborhoods, and maybe you want to stay home and hand out your big chocolate candy bars. Uh, but we'll plan on having Bible study, but if you want to say something different at the end, we can certainly... Uh, cancel Bible study to celebrate the holy day of Satan or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> all right. Uh, Tony's not a big Halloween fan at all. Neither am I, but she's, I have to keep her from becoming militant on Halloween. <laughs> she didn't like the fact that I hand kids candy bars. It's like, we okay, that's another whole conversation. Uh, all right. Mark 15. Uh, Jesus was with Pilate last time, and so here we have it. I'll just pick up in verse, uh, verse 9 of chapter 15. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That's, that's now Pilate talking, and he's found the crime that Jesus is going to be crucified for, and he's going to put it on the cross. Probably have to wear it around his neck. It's possible that when he's going to the cross, they put a, a, uh, a tag around his neck, some kind of a sign that he was the king of the Jews, and that was taken off and then nailed to the cross. Uh, because that would be what Pilate, he's not going to crucify him because of an insurrection. He hasn't led an insurrection. They're going to crucify him because he made the high priest mad because that's not an, you know, a, a crime that you can be executed, executed for. But if you are le- proclaiming to be the king of the Jews, uh, Rome rules, there's no place for a king of Jews. You're an imposter. That's what he's going to be put on the cross for. And by calling him king of the Jews, they're going to be, in a sense, mocking him because look at your king. There he is, he's nailing him on a cross. But also, king of the Jews, this is your king, Jews, and we're nailing him on a cross. And so it's a mockery of both Jesus and the people that he's supposed to be ruling. And the Jews were like, no, don't, don't say that, because we've rejected him. Uh, do, what do you want me to do? Uh, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, verse 9, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released Barabbas instead. Now, when we get out there, it's going to come up probably next week when we get into the actual crucifixion. There's going to be three crosses, and uh, this is a thief, and this is a thief. That's what they're called. Uh, they could be insurrectionists. That would, that would, Roman would classify them both as the same. This maybe was, was Barabbas's cross. And when Barabbas was set free... They were probably all three, in a sense, insurrectionists. Barabbas was set free, and Jesus is here between Barabbas' two uh, partners in the uh, rebellion against Rome, potentially. That's, that Bible doesn't say that, but they've got three crosses, one's available, uh, and it may be because they're planning this execution, this crucifixion in the morning, and uh, there's because there's no trial for those two guys. They're just on their way to the cruise. They just show up all of a sudden. Where'd these guys come from? Well, they were already slated to be crucified. Well, where's that? Where's why is this cross open? Well, because Barabbas maybe is supposed to be there. That's some people's thought, and it's, it's at least something to entertain and think about. Um, Do you want me to release you the king of the Jews? They, uh, but uh, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas, Barabbas to them. What shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate again, trying to let him go. But they shouted all the louder, starting a mob. Crucify him, wanting to satisfy the crowd. And the reason he wants to satisfy the crowd is because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the paperwork and accusations and going back to Rome. Uh, It's not like he cares about the crowd. He just doesn't want the hassle of doing the paperwork or himself getting in trouble with Rome. 
Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Verse 16, we'll come back and pick this up here with the notes. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. And again, the whole company of soldiers, that's a technical term. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, a very unique verse in Mark. He names three individuals in one verse, personal names. Who are these people? Uh, Simon, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, when they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, he did not take it, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and ca they cast lots to see what each would get. Now, this whole thing, it's kind of interesting. We could spend a lot of time talking about crucifixion and, and all the details, but this whole thing is summed up in verse 24 in three Greek words, brought over here into English as... Uh, with four words they are right here and they crucified him or in the in another way and having crucified him that's the detail it's like and what happened and they crucified him now you know in our culture we we you got you think possibly the way you've heard it talked and i'm going to do the same thing get all the details of what's going on it's like it looks like it's an entire chapter about describing the crucifixion of jesus this has been the trials the mocking the leading up to it then we get here and having crucified him, now they're dividing his garments in the same verse and removing, it's like, now, now he's on the cross. And, as, and all the writers do that, they, they, they don't, well, they don't need to explain crucifixion. I mean, we would have to, it's like, what is crucifixion? I mean, we, we understand, but, you know, we want some more details. Everybody there in that culture knew what crucifixion was. They'd seen it, they'd heard about it. Uh, they didn't need this. There's the term fill in the blanks you don't you just understand it and so they don't sensationalize it in fact sometimes i even end up getting all the teaching the technical details of it they don't spend time with that they just make the statement and move on which is which is kind of interesting um on the notes here uh on, on page one of the notes the english standard version is written here and again the first two bullet points is the sanhedrin religious leaders mock him for his deity the roman soldiers are going to mock him now because he's royalty and both are true statements it's just no one understands it in the that first verse 15 16 and the soldiers led him away or uh handed him over inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole battalion a couple things right there where it says the whole battalion. I've got that first verse or that word in, in a box there in the Greek. Uh, sometimes it's translated cohort. It's the word S-P-E-I-R-A in the Greek. S-P-E-I-R-A. And it is one-tenth of a, uh, a Roman legion. So it's going to be, this would be in the technical sense, 600 soldiers and they are at the Praetorium. Now, the Praetorium is, again, that's another word in that box, or in the, in the Greek there that I've got in a square. It's a word that refers to the commander's tent, or the practor, or the leader, the commander's tent. That would be the, the Praetorian. Now, if you're out on the battlefield, this is wherever he's at, that's the Praetorian. And then his bodyguard would meet there or be protecting that area. So the Praetorian guard would be the ones protecting the commander's tent. Well, obviously, Pilate's not in a tent. Uh, he's here at Herod's palace. So this now, by definition, is the Praetorian. And the guards there are the Praetorian guards guarding the governor. Now, we can spend more time talking about uh, Fort Antonia possibly being where Jesus was tried and where Pilate's at, where all these things are taking place. 
but that's really fallen out of favor uh, academically more recently. And I've, like I showed you, I've switched my maps because I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced because uh, Josephus and Philo, for example, they talk about Herod staying here at his palace, talk about all the governors staying here. There's never any writing anywhere of them staying at Fort Antonia. That's more of a place of where the soldiers were there for, you know, keeping the, an eye on the Temple Mount and overseeing things. This was not a luxury place. This was like, you know, like a, the, the barracks. Basically, it was the barracks. And this is where the governors, when they came, they didn't even stay in Jerusalem. They stayed at Caesarea by the sea, and they'd come here for the holidays or the festivals to keep an eye on the city because, you know, things could get out of hand. And so most, there really, there's no doubt about it anymore, but it's worth knowing a lot of times you're like Via Della Rosa. You know, if you ever walk Via Della Rosa, you go down all this way and go to the, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and you'd, you'd stop by this location. Well, that changes a lot of the details of that because you're not going down this road. You're going out this way right here. And all this is going to be very important. Remember, it talked about Simon. It says uh, Rufus and Alexander's father was passing by. He's coming in to the city. He's not, he's not in the crowd. He's just, he's just on his way into the city. Uh, and as the, and the, the, the Romans, they need someone to carry the, the cross and they, they grab him and have him carry. So it, it going in, it coming in this gate right here or whatever, he's, he's going in and they're coming out and they force him. And that's what the Romans would do. We'll talk about that. If they needed a, a product, if they needed a, a, any kind of equipment, if they needed labor, they just grab you and you did it. It was part of their, their, their privilege and their right. But nonetheless, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace See, even the English Standard Version is not saying the fortress. They're saying the palace. So they've already picked that up in their translation. Uh, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together, again, the governor's headquarters would be the Praetorium. And they called together the whole battalion. And the whole battalion would be those soldiers that are there with Pilate, which could be 600. Now, that, that would be the technical reference, 600. It may not be 600. It could be a couple hundred, but it's going to be more than four or five. The people that per, uh, are on the execution crew would be a centurion and then four soldiers that are going to be overseeing this whole deal. That will be the execution crew. But this might be as many as 600 down to a couple hundred that are in there around this area uh, mocking Jesus. And again, it may not be every last one of them, but there's a crowd, quite a crowd of Roman soldiers there mocking him. Um, then again, I point one, I got Sanhedrin fulfilling the prophecy that, that Jesus uh, said in chapter 10, verse 33 through 34. Jesus had said, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And now, and they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. That was what Jesus was referring to. And so these, those soldiers are going to do that very thing. They're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him in this sequence of, of verses 9. And I've already talked about the battalion, the headquarters, number 3, number 4, uh, point 5 and 6. I've already said about Philo and Josephus. Uh, it's interesting Point seven, John 19, verse 13 says, Jesus' trial before Pilate occurred. John says in the Greek, Gabatha, which means the high point, which would be, again, if you've looked, we looked at uh, last week, we looked at a, a topography, and this is Mount Moriah, but Mount of Olives is higher and looks down into, in fact, that's where I'm at in that picture. You see right here, this is Mount Moriah. This is a good picture right here. That's Mount Moriah right here, and I'm on the Mount of Olives looking down into the temple court. And this is the western hill. There's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre right there where Jesus would, have been, would be crucified. I should probably take that picture down so I'm pointing at it and show everybody. And up in here would be the Joppa Gate, and you can, that's the western hill rising up. And so what I'm talking about right here is this picture right here. I'm not sure how that looks on the camera. But I'm on the Mount of Olives looking over the Kidron Valley here. That's the eastern wall of the city and the Temple Mount. That's where the temple would have stood. 
right there is the two gray domes. One is the smaller one is over Calvary, where Jesus is going to be crucified, and the other is the bigger dome is over the tomb. It's, it's right here. That is right here. So on this picture, I'm standing here looking over this, and you can see this in the background. So right here is Herod's palace. And that is here, this is obviously higher because I'm looking down into the Temple Mount, which is a mount, Mount Moriah. You have to climb up. This is called the Ophel. The rising goes up into the Temple Mount there. So you can imagine it's even lower, traping off this way. But then there's a central valley running between here and then this western hill, and that rises up over here. So this is where Jesus' trial is taking place over on that high pot over there. And John refers to it in that verse where the people, uh, the crowd, goes up. They go up to Pilate, which, again, would all make sense. So that's, that's what that first verse, uh, 15, chapter 15, verse 16, is, is pointing out. Chapter 15, verse 17, And they clothed him in purple and twisted together a crown of thorns they put on him. Now, what's going to take place here? These soldiers, see, that they've had, Pilate, the, he's been with the, the Sanhedrin. He'd been with the high priest and, and Caiaphas and, and uh, the godfather Annas. So they handed him over to Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin hands him over to Pilate. We've heard Pilate's case. And now Pilate's handed him over to the soldiers to get him ready for execution. They're going to be going right out this gate, right up here to uh, Golgotha. Uh, and so now they're getting him ready. So now they're going to have this whole thing now is about the soldiers mocking Jesus. And there's going to be, here's how they're going to mock him. They're going to mock him for being a king. Or, in a sense, for being, how do you spell, I can never spell Caesar. Is that spelled Caesar? I always get all those letters mixed around, A and E, C. But anyway, they're treating him like he's Caesar. And they're going to involve these things. If I can pull it off the top of my head, the purple garment... It's going to have the wreath, which can be two things. It can be the gold leafy wreath uh, that the emperor would wear, like when he came in on a, uh, a victorious procession or when he came in as, as an emperor. Or it could be the leafy wreath that would be get put on someone's head for being an athletic champion. Like if you're the, the, the victor in, in military or if you're the emperor on the throne, you'd have some kind of a headdress. You've seen that before. It's a declaration of, of, of the victory. Uh, they're also going to use a, a, a scepter. Uh, in that we're going to have to drop into Matthew to pick that up. But they're going to take a reed and give him a reed as his scepter. That doesn't take place in Mark, but they're going to beat him with the reed and so it's most likely it's the same scepter they give him they're going to take it and beat him with it the purple means he's royalty the wreath means he's the victor the winner the emperor uh, the scepter means he's the ruler he's the law he's got the authority then they're going to say hail and we'll talk about that hail king of the jews and we'll look at the greeting they would give caesar they would do that and then they're going to pay homage or uh, they're going to kneel down. The word actually means, we'll talk about it, it means to worship. Now, uh, if it was in a different setting, you know, if it was the high priest or the Sanhedrin or the Jews, uh, they may be worshiping like he's God. But here, they're not, they're not worshiping like he's God. They're paying him homage or honoring him like he's their king. They're, they're paying homage to him. They're going to do all these things, and all of that is exactly... What they, 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 Pilate says, what am I going to do with the king of the Jews? Well, he hands them over. They say, so now the crime is you're king of the Jews. Someone's probably making a little plaque that's hanging around his neck as he goes out, walks out, takes the, the, the walk of shame out to the crucifixion. He's got this king of the Jews, and he's being led to his execution. And so while they're writing this little placket up or this little sign, they're doing all these things to him, which are putting him in a position, which is, which is interesting because every one of these things is true he is the king he is royalty through the line of david from the throne of god he is the victor he's going to come back in victory he's going to wear the victor's crown in fact he's winning the battle right now as he's taking the walk of shame he's winning the battle he, he's in the competition the scepter 
the, it says it, from Genesis, Jacob's last prophecy, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah until it comes to the one it belongs, the ruler's scepter. And here it is, he, it, it's, going, it's, it's not his yet, I mean, it's always his since he's God, but there's a time where he's going to take up the scepter, and it says he will rule them with an iron scepter. When he begins his rule, yeah, I will make the rules, but they're iron. They're not negotiable. They're not political. It's like they're what I want, the way I want it, when I want it, and you're not going to be able to have lobbying money or petition me. It's, it's like he will rule them with an iron scepter. And it says, and dash them to pieces, talking about the nations. Here, the nations, the Gentiles, are mocking him. When he comes back, he'll rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. This guy. And then hail, uh, we'll see that hail, you know, king of the Jews. That's the greeting they would give to Caesar, except different terminology. And then paying homage to him. And it talks about nations eventually will all come and kneel before the Messiah in, in Jerusalem uh, and ask him, teach us your ways. Teach us, because he'll come back and is going to lead the, the, king, the world, the kingdoms, into the age of of the golden age the, the millennial reign so it's interesting because they're they're beating him mocking him on his way to the cross uh like he's a criminal like he's a fool trying to make him look like an idiot look like a fool look like a loser uh but everything they're doing to him someday well in philippians every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord and when it says every knee shall bow that is not as you know good and well that's not talking about Every believer's knee will bow. It, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. The rulers and authorities that are in rebellion today, these individuals who helped nail him on the cross, they're all going, it's, every tongue will eventually confess if it's from in, in a place of judgment or in a place of, of reward and victory. Jesus Christ is Lord. So this mocking is really it's it's going to back it's 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 backfiring on them even as they're doing it uh but again it, it's for uh for the person looking on it's it's not not even confusing it's just it's clear jesus is losing and i'll point this out as i go by because he's got his disciples remember when john the baptist got his head cut off, who came and picked up his body? His disciples came and got his body and buried him. Jesus, and we'll get to it probably next, yeah, it'll be next week. Joseph of Arimathea is going to come and get Jesus, ask permission to take his body off the cross. Now, it's very likely Joseph of Arimathea, he's going to become a believer, and John's going to refer to that. But it's possible that he was, he was a righteous man. He was looking for the kingdom of God. But he also knew that we leave these bodies on the cross after dusk. It's, it's not the way we do things. A curse comes on the land. The bodies need to be taken down and buried or got out. Otherwise, it becomes unclean. So being a righteous man, Joseph, Joseph, of Arimathea, uh, he's the one who's going to come get the body. It tells the verse after that says, or before that says, the women were standing at a distance watching, and Joseph, they're his followers. Now that says, the women. The women were standing there watching at a distance. They're just women. The disciples, John was at the cross talking. But when Jesus is going to be taken down, none of the disciples come get his body. None of the disciples go to Pilate. It's going to be Joseph that comes and gets him. So as all this is taking place, there is a great confusion uh, except with Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what's going on and, and that he is indeed the king. And yes, all these things are true. You will, I will be in purple. I will be the, wearing the, uh, have the scepter or have the crown. His disciples were not so confident. They're like, what just happened? Uh, they, things just spiraled out of control. And so there's a lot of, again, as a believer, it's a lot of questions.
questioning. And again, remember, Mark is writing to the people of Rome that are under persecution uh, from Nero at that time. And so that's going to come up here in just a moment again. Chapter 15, verse 17, And they clothed them in purple, in a purple cloak, and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And again, those are the things I've got written down there. The purple, uh, the victor's wreath to wear, the greeting, hail, Caesar, emperor, is what they would say, giving him a scepter, indicating his authority. And even on the cross, uh, he's going to be given uh, a drink, and he's going to refuse it. Or in a sense, Caesar would be, when he came into his, uh, after the triumphal procession and in the purple, the crown, the scepter, they're all paying him homage. He'd be given a drink, a, a drink of wine mixed with, you know, the substances that you'd give it the honor, the, the great wine. And then in respect to the gods would not drink it, but would then pour it out. And it's going to be the soldiers who give Jesus that drink while he's on the cross. Once he's seated in his glory, and I should have, boy, this, I should say this too. Once he's on the cross, they offer him potentially, and again, you can go different ways. You've heard it says they gave him as, as a sign of sympathy. They gave him wine mixed with myrrh or something. It was like something that was kind of like a painkiller. Uh, and it talks about women would bring that and help serve the, the suffer, people that are suffering, would help them alleviate that. That's possible, but because the soldiers are giving it to him, they are maybe are not giving it to him to help alleviate the pain, although they may be giving him something to drink so that he stays alive and suffers a little bit longer. It may be part of that mocking ritual of giving him something to drink like he's been seated. And we'll talk about this on the crosses. Oh, I'll, might as well say it now. Uh, there, there's the first cross is the, uh, the Assyrian, were the ones that in a sense, you know, first know about this. They would impale people. They would just have a stake. And they would just have the body would just be hanging on. And I don't have any pictures up right now. You're saying, thank God. Uh, but of the, uh, uh, the battle at Lachish, when Sennacherib came on, there are just pictures of poles with bodies just stuck on there, hanging off like this. And they're just hanging there dying. They just stick them on there. And then they just, you know, ah. Oh, and then you know, they didn't like die right away. Some of them might have. They would die like in the next few days. And that would include birds coming and eating them and, and dogs picking at their flesh. They're not like lifted high. They're just off the ground. Oh, I can't move. And so all, that would be the impaling. Then there's going to be the, where you'd have the hole in the ground like this. You want a little bit deeper than that. Then you'd have a cross laying on the ground like this, uh, more of the T. And again, that may be more, uh, uh, it may be more something like this. And then that would be, the person would be tied or put on that. And then that would be lifted up and dropped into a hole like this. So this would be lifted out and he'd, the body would be removed. Then someone else would be nailed on. They'd drop it in the hole like that. That would be another type of crucifixion. But what appears to be happening with Jesus is you're going to have the, uh, the poles appear to be set in the ground. There's your three crosses. Seven feet high at the top, I mean, at the most. I mean, they're not like way up there. They're just so the feet can't touch the ground. And then they're going to have, and wood is scarce. They're, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's a, especially these beams, poles. And so what they'd have, they would have on, uh, they'd have these, the vertical part, excuse me, the horizontal part. I, I got the official name written down there. They would take these back in town, back inside, and the, they would have the people that are being crucified would carry their own beam out or the horizontal part. They would be either tied or nailed to this. And then they'd take like some kind of a board, some kind of a, you know, two, two soldiers, lift it up and then somehow attach it if it be tying it or nailing it again because they're going to be taking Jesus, it's I mean, it, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know for sure. But if you follow the protocol, Jesus was not the only person nailed on this particular horizontal. There's probably nail holes in there from previous blood stains, from previous executions. They just take it back, bring it back out, and, and put another guy up here. This is not like 
the cross that they've been saving for the Lord. This is just a chunk of wood that they're using to execute criminals. And Jesus, the next criminal, the next Jew they're going to crucify, they bring this and put it up here and they tie it or nail it on here. And they got done, they take it down. And so that was probably, that is, now, oh boy. Because you've all seen uh, the, the crucified man's heel bone that they found, and I think it was 1968. And they've done a lot of research on it because it was found with the, the, some of his other bones, including his arm bones. And they're trying to figure out how, you know, they didn't find the, the, the scars on the bones like they thought they would. So they think he was probably tied to the beam up on top. But this is, uh, again, they're, they're always doing research and finding stuff out and, you know, getting more and more information. But that was the first time they actually found, and the, and the spike going through the, the heel had been bent. Because it apparently hit a knot when it went into the wood. It hit a knot and bent the end of it or something. And that's why it never came out of the body. It was easy just to leave it in the foot and not take it out. Otherwise, they'd recycle the nails. I mean, it's like, why? well, we already used this nail. Use it again. Uh, and so what they, they, they've figured out, and they talked about it. They tried to figure out that the foot was on top of the foot, and they, they did that for a while. But the latest research looking at that and other studies they've had is they would, they would they'd have one leg here, and then one leg here, again, thank you for putting up with my drawing, right here. And they would nail this into here and this into here. And then they would possibly tie the hands here. And there may be, there may have been a, a board, like a little board for, to sit on, if you would. And that's probably because you can see several things. I, I was going to try to get some things typed up for you. But they talk about people sitting on the cross you're going to sit on the cross and so they wouldn't necessarily just hang they would be it'd be a place of of hanging of course your arms or bones are getting stretched out but there was a seat there also potentially just got to help hold them on in place there and that's we'll try and get into some of that more maybe possibly next week but nonetheless uh we're looking at <coughs> jesus and uh page two talking about the purple cloak uh, is likely a faded scarlet military cloak because that was Roman's colors. Uh, and it's probably faded and old. Matthew, Matthew 27, 28 says they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, which would be the, the more of the faded, worn out. They're not going to put something nice on him because, you know, they're just mocking him. Uh, and the crown of thorns, it could be any number of types of thorny shrubs. I mean, there's many things around that could have been used that had some kind of thorns in it. Uh, it may be a type of a palm tree. There is a dwarf uh, date palm that is used like for ornamental, you know, decorative that had large spikes in it. And the large spikes, if it had, and you may have seen some with large spikes, that they twisted it together, they had it all twisted together and had these spikes, you know, coming out of his, you know, going down and poking him and different things, obviously painful in his face and his temples and his skull. But also they'd be sticking up, kind of like, and if you remember, I passed a coin around a long time ago of the Nero coin uh, uh, f uh, that's on one side. It's got the headdress of the Egyptians coming up like here. It's like a snake coming up like this. You know, that's, that's Nero right there. It's got a snake headdress on. On the other side of it, Nero's got his face on both sides of the coins, of course. I mean, if you're Nero, you don't want to waste coin space with details, except your face. The other one's going to have a, it's got a, a, something like this and it's those are the the rays radiant crown which is saying deity that he is god one was an egyptian throne crown saying he's the god of egypt or the emperor or the ruler of egypt this deified him and this the spikes here could be portrayed here of the spikes of thorn ah we're, we're we're giving you deity you're like just like the caesar would be god you know they, they would giving him that the other things like they've got them written down there uh the gold leaf fair or the emperor would wear a golden leaf crown symbolizing his royalty point two the large spikes could portray the crown seen on images and coins of rays of rating out of the crown or the head of the ruler, or point three, definitely the leafy laurel uh, worn by the conquering heroes and the victorious athletes during a celebration. They'd give them a, you know, you've ever seen the, the leafy green, that was, you're, you're the leader, you're the winner, you're the emperor. So all three of those tie into the crown, and they, they gave it to him in a mocking sense, once again. 
and chapter 15, verse 18, and they began to salute him, and here it is, it says, Hail, King of the Jews. Uh, that's two phrases in Latin that they would use for Caesar. One is, of Caesar Imperator, that would be in, in, in Latin, or Latin, of Caesar Victorious Imperator. The first one, Hail Caesar Emperor, or Hail Caesar Victor Emperor. And they're saying the same thing to Jesus. Hail, you are king of the Jews. And so they're putting him in the same place, the, the, the purple, the scepter, the crown, the, the declaration. Uh, you are uh, a king. You are royalty, which, of course, now we're going to nail you on the cross, which they could have played out. We're going we're gonna to seat you in your place of honor and give you the cup of victory to drink uh, like they would give to Caesar. Chapter 15, verse 19, And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him kneel and kneeling down in homage to him. And again, there's that reference to the staff. It's basically like a bamboo stock, but it's probably from a papyrus reed. It was used for the shaft of an arrow, which may tie into, that's why they've got them. It's, it's, a, it's a part of an arrow that they've got that's available. Or it's some kind of a, a small pole, uh, like a reed. Uh, it's some kind of a stick. And again, they're using it like a scepter. Uh, Matthew 27, 28, I've got it written right down there in point D. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And definitely the right hand, that's the hand of power. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So in Matthew, they put the reed in his right hand, like a scepter. In Mark, it doesn't say that. <coughs> it just says that they beat him with a reed. So it would make sense, if you're willing to go that far, that they had a reed, they gave it to him, they beat him with it, they put it back in his hand. And interestingly, when it says uh, point two, uh, striking and spitting are imperfects in the Greek, which means they didn't just do it once. They were doing it repeatedly over and over. Uh, it means they kept on striking and spitting on him and then kneeling before him. And so this was an ongoing thing. There's probably, you know, they got some time to kill, waiting until it's time for the, the procession out there. And so they're just beating him up and making fun of him. At, now, listen, he's been hit and clubbed by the priest. He's already gone through the flogging. He's already had his back, his flesh is tore open. Uh, it's not just they just it's like slapping with something. Uh, they, they, they ripped his flesh open. And, and it sometimes killed people. In fact, they, they, the little bit of reading that I've done on it, the people that were trained to inflict this kind of punishment were trained not to kill someone. Because you, if, you got out of, if you didn't do it right, you could just kill them. You could just rip them up. And so they are trained to prolong, make it miserable for him. Well, Jesus has been now in his, that condition. He's been hit in the head several times. The soldiers have slugged him in the head. He's been whipped by the, the, the team of, uh, 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 that Pilate put in charge. And now he's in the praetorium waiting to take the walk of shame to the cross. And they're just toying with him. So he's probably not in a, in a frame of mind where he's like, you know, got all these wise sayings that he's talking with him. He's, he's, you know, as a human, he's probably just trying to stay alert, awake, uh, you know, on his feet, which is fading quickly. Uh, and point three talks about that word homage. I've already referred to that. Point chapter 15, verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him. Now it's time to go to the cross. Whatever extra time they had, they're out of time. So they take the purple cloak off of him, probably the faded military, and put his own clothes on him and let him out to be crucified. Now they put his clothes back on him. They're going to take these same clothes off and gamble for him here in a moment. And that's what the soldiers would do. Whoever was in charge of the execution, the little bit that the, the criminal would have, they would divide it amongst themselves. Uh, it is not unusual for someone to be executed or crucified naked. But in Jerusalem, because of the Jewish culture, the sensitivity to nakedness, and of course, not that the Romans cared, but it would just be easier to follow a few simple protocols so you don't have a ride on your hands. Uh, Jesus wore clothes out the, out the, down the road, out of the city, 
they gambled for his clothes and probably even when he's put on the cross he had some kind of some kind of covering you know to keep himself private it wouldn't be uh, although in other cultures they would be naked uh he probably had some kind of covering again the bible doesn't go into detail on that but you do see him taking his clothes off dressing in purple taking the purple off putting his clothes back on getting to the cross taking his clothes gambling for it and they did say that his this garment is a very nice garment you begin to wonder i mean with all the blood and beating going on and you get out there and this is a very nice garment they said don't let's not tear it let's gamble for it uh how how do you keep it nice it's it's got to be like stained with blood dirty uh so i mean that that's just something i've always kind of wondered did they like keep it separate or did they actually you know, did he have it on the whole time nonetheless there is some talk about the clothing going throughout this um and that's the end of page two page three and they compelled a passerby simon of cyrene who was coming in from the country the father of alexander and rufus to carry his cross and so right there you've got do i have anything notes written down there oh yeah that's on the next verse there okay so jesus is going out i'm saying out this gate right here uh if you're going from via della rosa he's coming down this road here going out the gate right there he's going to end up here uh where the church of the holy sepulcher is at rufus is coming in probably coming into the city right down here he's coming in for the day and he's probably not in the crowd he's probably just coming in gets caught in traffic and jesus is falling down jesus can't make it he's carrying this beam this this upright pole uh and he can't go any further and this is or, or he's moving too slow maybe he's doing it but it's like it's going to take forever so it's like here you carry this let's get this this going and so he's has he's asked to carry it and the word compel i've got to drop down to uh i'm down underneath oh yeah i see what i'm doing i see what i, I wrote on there that's what got me confused in the midst here right there i gets kind of confusing because there's your text up there of your scripture and then that's your greek text the box and i've got it s- squared where it says they compel that's in the middle there that's the word augurero which means to impress compel force or conscript they just by roman force you do this and made him do it he's got if he says, no 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 i'm busy i've got to get going uh, I, I my order's waiting uh he can't do that he's got to stop what he's doing and do what the romans want what's interesting again is uh uh point four got some things about him uh he may have been a jew most likely uh, he, his name may actually be hebrew simeon call him simon uh he could have been a member of the synagogue of the cyrenians who opposed stephen in acts chapter 6 verse 9 since that was a synagogue that was people that had come from cyrene he may have been a jew part of that synagogue um he may have been black coming from north africa that would be very obvious and may have been visiting for the feast or may have just moved into judea he may have been coming from cyrene or may have moved from cyrene the interesting part is the mention of his two sons alexander and rufus and if you go here to uh um in rufus uh if you go to romans 16 13 i'm going to just read that very quickly romans 16 30 and this makes complete sense to you it's it's not a great verse i just want to show you that it's here uh romans 16 13 chapter 16 is of romans is is paul just saying hello to people and uh like we've talked before this is 57 a.d paul's writing this from corinth to rome so the church has already started it's already flourishing i mean they're receiving one of the most theologically in-depth letters of the new testament he's not trying to get them out of temple worship idolatry he's not trying to get them out of legalism following you know like the galatians he's basically explaining his theology says i want to come visit you so i might share my spiritual gift with you and you likewise share your spiritual gift with me in other words he's almost putting them on an equal basis i want to come and strengthen you but you've got some things to help me and i can learn again be careful when i say learn but you can help him and in he eventually says uh, you know, I plan on going to Spain, and you can, I can take an offering, and you can send me on my way to Spain. So, 
I can come teach and, and give you some encouragement, give you some information, but you can help me continue going further west. So at the end of Romans 16, it's unique because that whole chapter, if we start reading through it, he's just saying hello and hi to person after person. Some people he remembers, some people he hasn't met. But he comes down to verse 16. Uh, 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 what did I say? 13. Okay. Uh, let me just begin in verse 12. Just we'll look at this. Greet uh, Tryphena and Tryphosis, whose women who work hard in the Lord, those women who work hard in the Lord, greet my dear friends, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. And uh, that Rufus, people assume, is this Rufus. And it's like, oh, why would you know? Well, Mark is writing to the people of Rome, and he stops and mentions Rufus, and Alexander, when their father, Simon, carries Jesus' cross, and it's in the book that Mark is writing to Rome, it's like, this can only mean something to someone that knows who Rufus is. Otherwise, why would you care? Everybody's got a son and a daughter. You could say, everybody could just, could give everybody their lineage. You know, you know this Peter, whose brother is so-and-so, and they've married to so-and-so. It's like, the details of this would indicate, especially since he's writing to Rome, that Rufus was this Rufus here, and they've got that connection. It also goes on and says this, um, uh, point three, Rufus is mentioned by Polycarp in his letter to the Philippians. Now, this is outside the Bible, but Polycarp, you've got John had disciples, teachers that he would train and send out, and Polycarp and Ignatius were two of those, we've got some of Polycarp's letters. Now, these are not apostolic letters, but these are letters from the disciples of the apostles. And nonetheless, in the, he wrote a letter to the Philippians in chapter 9. They're very short uh, chapters. He says, I exhort you, therefore, all therefore, to be obedient unto the word of righteousness and to practice all endurance, which also ye saw with your own eyes in the blessed Ignatius, Zosimus, and Rufus. Now when it says Ignatius, that is one of Polycarp's contemporaries, one of his fellow students that trained under John. And Ignatius is in the same line as Ignatius, Zosimus, and Rufus, yea, and in others who came from among yourselves, as well as in Paul himself and the rest of the apostles. So that Rufus may be right there, that one that his father carried the cross, he is in Rome when this letter is written for the Romans, and Polycarp puts him in the same category as Ignatius and Paul and others, and he would have been a leader in the church. So that's, that's close to speculation, but when he put all those figures together, that's the same guy. That's what I would say, and that's, I'm not alone in that. Uh, Alexander, nothing else is said in Scripture about it, but an ossuary... And you know what an ossuary is? Like when, when somebody dies, they put their, their bones in a tomb, let them the, the flesh deteriorate, then take the bones and put them into a stone box. We'll talk more about that next week. But they did find in Jerusalem an ossuary, a stone box, that says Alexander, son of Simon. And that would match this, Alexander, son of Simon, in Jerusalem. Uh, and again, that means nothing except that's all that stuff is true. If it all fits together, that's the questionable part about it. But nonetheless, uh, that's, again, I'm going to read chapter 15, verse 21. And, and just this, as we're rushing through uh, Mark, now, we are not. We're going very slow. I think this is like lesson 49 or something. Uh, that's embarrassing because he's only got 16 chapters. Um. But to stop and give this information, and they compelled a passerby. This is just a random guy. Mark could have said, and they compelled a passerby to carry his cross. But instead of saying they 
they compelled and forced the guy to carry the cross, he says, a passerby. His name's Simon of Cyrene. Probably not a believer at that time. In fact, he probably became a believer through these events, and his sons followed him in the faith and end up in the Church of Rome or end up staying in Jerusalem. But they're well known because why would Mark write, and they compelled the passerby, just a random guy. They just grabbed a random guy out of the crowd and made him carry the cross. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about his two sons. It's like, let me tell you his name. I mean, how many people have have come and been healed or had demons cast out and their name is not even mentioned. It's just this, this person, this woman, this man, they came, they went. And the story's there, the story's about Jesus. But now all of a sudden, Simon and, oh, you know, his two sons, you know, Rufus. In fact, I'm, he's probably with you right now. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. I mean, the, the only way that makes sense is if you know who Alexander and Rufus is, I think. Okay, that ends. And again, p- bottom page three, point six, Matthew and Mark and Luke all mention Simon. Chapter 15, verse 22. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And so the word in the Greek, gel, Golgotha, it means skull now when you take Golgotha and translate it into Latin you get the Latin word and it's down here which you'll recognize it's C-A-L-V-A-R-I-A which we get in the English Calvary okay Golgotha the place of the skull Calvaria means the skull or the place of the skull in Latin and Calvary it means well it's transliteration of the latin which means skull calvary just means that's where jesus died in in english but that's where it comes from now a couple of things i'm going to do this with some pictures here if i can what do i got here okay is that my first one i gotta make that smaller sorry okay that would be calvary we'll come back to that in a moment that's the map we were just looking at. All right, that's good, that's good, that's good. Okay, here is, again, that, that map, if we want to look at this very quickly. I appreciate your patience. This is 30 AD. This is Herod's palace up there on the hill. I showed you that, Temple Mount. This is the first wall, and Steve, this is for you. And we talked about this the other day. This is called the second wall, right here. And they, they always, Romans and Jews, crucified outside the wall. They didn't crucify inside the city. Definitely not Jews. Jews even buried outside the city. So right now, the crucifixion is outside the city. We saw before there's roads coming and going right there. And they execute in a busy place. So everybody can see this. When the, they were crucifying people in, in 66, or it would be 68, 69, 70 AD, when Jerusalem was being destroyed, attacked by the Romans, they were crucifying, they'd have to 500 people at a time on crosses. And they would always be outside the city wall. So if you looked over the wall to see what was going on, you would see people just lined up on crosses. And there was people waiting to get on the cross. I mean, they, they had so many people that were, they, they had captured, they were executing them. And they would crucify them in different positions, meaning they would get creative. Sometimes they'd crucify them upside down, or they'd whatever they'd want to do, they'd just hang them on on crosses or impaling them just hang there until you die and it, it i think from what i remember from a long time ago when i was teaching this uh, the 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 longest historical account of someone being on a cross someone was on a cross for 14 days i just imagine i mean it's like just because you're nailed on a cross doesn't mean you're going to die i'm dying of nails it's like no you, you you're going to die of something but you're just not going to you got not coming off the cross this is your last last stop is here and so, interestingly, Jesus dies in a six-hour period, which was, and you remember in the story, because they came by with, to break the legs of, they broke the legs of the thieves, because all of a sudden now, they can't support themselves, and they suffocate. Uh, that's one way of dying. There's other ways of dying. Uh, but uh, Jesus was already dead, probably because of the beating and the exhaustion of everything they put him through. Uh, he died. But 
Anyway, there's that. Now, here's what I want to show you, Steve. Right? I just, when I was doing this, then that's 30 A.D., and then Herod Agrippa I wanted to do this, and they stopped him because they thought he's getting ready to revolt, and Herod Agrippa II finished it. That's the third wall right there. That's the third wall, and that's the one the Romans broke in then in 60, 68, 70, 69, 70 A.D. They had to break through this wall. They had to break through this wall. Then they still had to get through the Temple Mount wall, and it's just like, a, and you can still see arches there that are built in that the Romans built ramps up to it. They just built those into the city. But that's the third. That has nothing to do with our story tonight. But you see, there now all of a sudden, the, the cross now, or the Church of Holy Sepulcher, is inside the city. By, by 70 A.D., by 60 A.D., uh, well, by 50 A.D., the place of the crucifixion is inside the city walls. But it's not inside the city walls. Now, there's a place out here they found in the 1800s uh, that looks like a skull. See? See the skull kind of like that? They see the eyes, the nose. Uh, and right over here, just like right here, the, the city wall is right here. Just, there's a Greyhound bus stop right here. A bunch of traffic. And there's this. The, the British found this. Gordon. Gordon. It's called Gordon's Calvary. And this is right beside it, right over there. See, there's, a, there's a, a tomb in there. And there's a place to roll some kind of a covering stone. And they found the original, they thought, tomb of christ the problem is this tomb is from the 700s 800s bcs the crusaders used it to store keep horses in it uh it's not it's not correct now if you're protestant this is your go-to place because it's outside the city walls it's a garden they've got it really nice and there's a rock outcropping of rock right there looks like a skull plus if you go to the church of the holy sepulcher by the time the Protestants get in the, into the picture, the Protestants don't arrive until 1500 A.D. Okay, you're all Catholic until Martin Luther. So this is occupied by two major groups, the Eastern Catholic Church and the Western Catholic Church. The Eastern part of the Catholic Church is the Greek Orthodox. The Western part of the Catholic Church is the Latin Church, which we know as the Roman Catholic Church. So those are two. In fact, you go up on Calvary, there's two altars there. One on this side is the Greek, and one on this side is the Latin. Where's the Protestant altar? Too late. You're 1,500 years too late. Well, we want to be part of it. Now, there's Ethiopians there. There's different, different, certain different groups there. Um, but the Protestants have no place. You can come and take pictures and pray and leave a donation but when the British found this, it's like, look at what we got. We've got the skull, Golgotha, Calvary, and we found a tomb right beside it. And now you, there are people there, you can argue with them. They will, they'll, they'll argue that this is the place. Now again, if you want to go there, you can, but that's the Protestant's place. That's our place. Now, it's not historical, but at least we have our own place. Now, this is inside the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Uh, let me see if I can do this quick. There's the wall. They would have walked out from Herod's palace out this way. Simon would have been walking in. They would have gone, again, this is just a drawing. This is not, but it used to be in a, a quarry. That's definitely, you can see down in here, even today, you can find out, you can see places where they've carved stone out. It appears to have become uh, abandoned, that they, it was, they're exhausted. And so they clearly turned it into a garden. They brought dirt in, and they started cutting tombs in what was left of the quarry. This goes right by, this might have been a nice place for a, a garden or for tombs, but it goes right by the main roads coming into Jerusalem, so it's a great place uh, to crucify people. So you come to town for the holidays, it's like, whoa, Rome's in charge. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, you pull into a city, it's like, Here's the people that rioted last week during the weekend. It's like, whoa, I'm going to follow the speed limit. Yeah, it's like, well, that's, that's barbaric. It's called Roman peace. It's like, right now, it's like, we don't dare, we, we don't even want to put people in prison. Now I'm getting political. But this kind of strange, not that I'm advocating for crucifixion, but uh, you understand, uh, it, it's just a different feeling when you come to a city and there's people hanging on the cross screaming, and uh, what did they do? They didn't follow the law. They didn't listen to the Romans. 
Well, I'm going to follow the law because I want to go home tonight. Nonetheless, that's another whole story. That is, right here is where Jesus' tomb would have been. And that's Joseph's tomb. We'll talk more about that next week. But uh, with that being said, oh, what did I do? Uh, oh, right. There we go. Okay. So right here, thank you, Tony. That would be Calvary today and then. And that would be the tomb. Now in 320, 315, right around there, Constantine is going to come and find this location and he's going to cut away all this stone. So the only thing you've got there is a little house, sepulcher, over that one tomb. Everything else is going to get carved away. There's going to be like a stone house there. It's, it's still the original stone of the, of the quarry. Uh, and then the Muslims are going to come by at like 1099. Uh, yes, I think it's 1099. And just crush it because they want to get rid of Christianity and cover up the burial bench. And the Crusaders retake Jerusalem, and then they rebuild the little thing that's there today. And we'll talk more about that next time. But here it is right here. You go inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, I'm standing on the pavement of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's the door. Go, open the door right there. And up here, this, these are stairways going up, up here. There's one of the altars right there. See that, that picture right there where I've got the little... That, I think, I think that is the, the Latin or the Roman altar. Then on this side would be the Greek Orthodox. I may have them backwards. You can look in my Jerusalem book and it make it clearer for you. And you can actually get up there to that, right up there, and you see it in the, in the book. You can get up there where the altar's at and get down on your hands and knees, and you can reach in and touch the stone of the original stone it's still it's it's this it's still there just covered up that's why it's higher right there that's how much higher it was and of course i've 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 touched it and then the next time i brought a little hammer and i chiseled a little bit off right there and here no i didn't do that and then right here as, as i'm standing here as i'm yeah I'm, I'm taking this picture the tomb of christ is right here i mean it's not like like right here but it's just a few feet away from right there so that's that's where that was when they buried him in a garden the garden was right here and there's still tombs back behind there in in the rock that's covered up by the building today so this is and i can give you more detail next week this is probably the right location it's it's been the right location uh since constantine identified i can not everything constantine identified and the crusaders identified is correct but he he asked the people and the people have and even the Romans, I got stopped. The Romans covered up Hadrian in one, when he defeated the, the Jews in 132 to 135. The first thing he does is cover this place up. He buried this place and put a pagan shrine on top of it. And when Constantine came in in 312, 315 and asked him, where is the burial place of Christ? They go, it's, it's underneath there. It's underneath that pagan shrine. And a couple things. It was inside the city, underneath the pagan shrine, buried. So when they dug it up, they found this location, the garden and stuff, and, and uh, it was confirmed. Okay, I got to quit with that right there, and we'll talk more about it next week. I appreciate you being here. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for what Jesus Christ, the King, and our Savior has done for us. Again, we ask that we would appreciate it, but Father, that we would also follow him and do what you've called us to do, that we would take up our own cross and do the things you've called us to. The world will mock us, reject us, and not understand what we're doing. But Father, as we walk in your word, follow Jesus Christ and listen to the things that he's taught us to do, that we would indeed uh, bring glory to you and be able to enter your kingdom as faithful servants. Again, we thank you for this opportunity and ask that we again would be a light to this generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for being here.